We are live. We're live? What? We are live. And we are live. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, 4.0 Solutions Industry 4.0 Community Podcast for Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. I am your host, Walker D. Reynolds, and we're live. Uh, how's everybody doing? Uh, quick reminder, uh, we're, we have a different format now. I can't see the YouTube stream anymore. So the only comments I see are the ones that are going to, that come in to the chat um, in our streaming software. Um, this week, we're going to cover two topics. Um, number one, we're going to talk about uh, investing in your people as organizations. You know, if you're an industry 4.0, you want to be an industry 4.0 organization, the importance of investing in your people. Okay. Um, why companies choose not to, why some companies choose to, and what you should do if you work somewhere that isn't investing in you and, uh, and your colleagues. Um, and then the second thing we're gonna do is just talk about, uh, you know, dealing, dealing with some challenge, dealing with challenges. How do you, you know, if, if we work in a, if we work in an environment that's so intense, like, you know, if you're an industry 4.0 professional or controls engineer, um, you, we work in a, in an environment where our head's got to be in the game, uh, 24 seven. I'm going to talk about some of that stuff and how do you, how can you perform at your highest level as an industry 4.0 professional when you're dealing with external challenges? Okay. Um, but a couple of announcements we'll get started with, and then we'll get into the, the questions. Uh, hello, Mario. How's it going, brother? Good to see you. MK ultra. Good morning. Um, so you're either, I mean, you're left of me. Wherever you are in the world, MK Ultra, you're left of me. I'm in Dallas, um, so Central Time Zone, and you are left of Central Time Zone in order for it to be morning. Because I don't think, I suppose you could be way, way right of me. But a um, couple announcements. MES Bootcamp, um, you can still sign up, iot.university forward slash MES hyphen bootcamp. Um, you probably heard a million times what it's all about. So I'm not going to go through that, but I will give you guys the update that 125 people have signed up for MES bootcamp. The first session is going to be September 17th, Saturday, September 17th. We're going to be starting at eight. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to be starting at 8 a.m. Central or it will be, or maybe 830. Um, it'll be either 8 a.m. or 830 Central. Um, I will be sending out a curriculum to all the people who have signed up the week before we start. So I think it's going to be the Saturday before an email is going to go out that's going to contain the complete curriculum. That first session will be four, four and a half hours. We're going to where there'll be about one hour of basically background chartering, uh, putting together our specification, and then we're going to jump right into the development. Um, we probably won't do anything in ignition on the first the first session. Everything will be uh, SQL and Python based. We'll write our, our first couple of functions. We're going to build uh, out our ERD and our schema. Um, and then we will uh, write some Python functions that are going to interact with our backend. Uh, we may install Ignition in that first session. I, ha I have to do dry runs of each session between now and um, September 12th. And I'm going to pre-record. I'm going to record all those sessions so we can get the timing down correctly. And then that the content will go to our team and we can like use it as a backup if we need to. And we'll probably post 
that stuff along with the live streams that we're doing as well. Um, Gustavo, uh, welcome, brother. Um, I don't think I have. Oh, uh, other thing, ICC. Um, a couple people reached out to me to have a beer. Um, JP Monas is one of them. Um, I we, we're sending six people to ICC um, the week uh, right after the boot camp, actually. So I think it's uh, I think it's uh, like nineteen twenty or whatever it is, whatever you know um, those dates are. I will almost I will be at ICC. But I'll almost certainly only be there one day. I'm probably going to fly in in the morning, spend the day there, and then fly out in the evening. A um, couple of reasons. I'm a single dad. Like, my kids are all at home, um, you know, with me. And uh, um, they're, you know, I have two that just went back to college. I have one who's a sophomore in high school, but he's taking college classes. Really needs me to be home to support him. So I'm going to. And September is too early for me to be gone more than one day uh, because everyone's just getting started. So I'll be in for one day. The rest of the team, five other people are going to be there both days. Um, And if you guys want to, you know, if you want to meet or have a beer or whatever, we'll put something together where, um, you know, you, the industry 4.0 community can, can get together um, on the day that I'm there. Okay. Um, All right. With that, let's get into this week's uh, subject. So, Hey, Josh, I'm going to move the stream um, over so I, I can't see the comments. So if something pops up you want me to address, please go ahead and just put it on the screen. Um, I got you. All right. Let's start with um, investing in your people. So, one of this, man, this is a this is a, quite a problem, a question I get a lot. I'll get private emails. I actually just got <clears throat> an email from a PhD student, I think, in Canada who was asking, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm a self-supporting PhD student. I'd really like to take your MES bootcamp. Um, you know, is there any chance I can do that? You know, like on a scholarship or something or at a reduced rate. Uh, the answer is we do do that. Um, we do it on a case by case basis. If we feel like we're going to get biggest bang for the buck, but we don't, you know, it's, it's, it's based on need and it's based on, um, value for the community. So, uh, and our team will look at that guy's request, but we, we get a lot of messages where people will reach out and they'll be like, Hey man, I really want to do your mastermind. And I've been trying to get my employer to pay for it and they, they won't pay for it. And you know, it really frustrates me and you know, it sucks and yada, yada, yada. Um, I totally get it. (laughs) So part of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, the importance of investing in people and why mechanically why that matters, especially as it relates to industry 4.0. But also we're going to talk about, um, you know, what you can do when you run into those situations. Okay. And I actually shot a video this morning in my car answering this question. But when I was done, it was about 12 minutes. I felt like I really rushed through it. And I was thinking, no, we should definitely do this in the podcast because this is a problem. Lots of people run into. Um, and then later on, we're going to talk about how to deal with, issues and that kind of stuff, you know, when you're dealing with challenges, you know, how do you, how can you stay focused on your work and uh, especially how intensely focused you need to be on the kind of stuff we do. So, so this guy wrote um, to me in um, LinkedIn. I, I think it was to me. Um, I'm, they pasted the, the comment here, but he said, I'm kindly writing in regards to your digital mastermind program. I'd like to ask if you and your team have any scholarship for this advanced professional development or if you have knowledge of non-traditional sources of funding. 
Unfortunately, after pitching this idea to my management for a group of five developers, I did not receive the funding to have my team go through the training. At this point, I'm asking about this non-traditional funding and scholarship opportunities for myself to enroll <clears throat> in the digital mastermind program. My intention is to commit for at least a year as a student to work as and or for a systems integrator. Um, like the old saying goes, you never know. And then I, I can't see the rest of what he wrote. But um, <clears throat> Cheryl, is it OK if I read your comment? I want to make sure. I, I don't know if you just put it there for my, you know, for my well-being or if you want me to read it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it. <laughs> Hopefully Cheryl wanted me to. Um, so Cheryl, actually, we had an internal discussion with our team. And she wrote that, you know, it's terrible that companies won't invest in training that will clearly quantifiably improve company success. It's terrible that he's working full time in manufacturing or some job that doesn't pay him enough to afford the cost of this, his professional development. We want to know how to help the organization. We want to learn what the obstacles are to getting training for his whole team of five. We want to help him help his organization and sell it internally. What are we not saying missing in our YouTube videos, podcast website that would convince his management? It's another example of the abysmal state of the industry and why manufacturers have trouble hiring. All right. So let's talk about investing in your people. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, I, uh, many, a couple of different times in my career, I wanted to do training when I worked for manufacturers, I found training I wanted to do. I would go to either my, my, my boss, my supervisor, or my manager, and I would, you know, put in the request to do this training and almost certainly that training would get denied. Okay. I, first thing I thought originally you know, it was kind of fucked up that I was having to request the training. Um, like, why did you hire me as a professional if I'm not going to make the decision on how to develop myself professionally? That somebody, some middle manager above me <clears throat> is going to make that decision on how it is I'm going to improve as a professional, continuously develop my skill set. So I always thought that was kind of weird that that was the way they did it. But I learned um, a couple of different things over the course of my career. So number one, when I worked, I, I'm not, I'm going to stay away from, I don't want to, you guys could obviously look up my resume and stuff. So I'm not going to say anything that would reveal which employer I'm talking about. So when I worked in this one industry, I wanted to take um, a week long training on a supervisory control and data acquisition um, platform. At the same time, I was going to be learning about this DCS system. Okay. It was a DCS system we used and it was a SCADA system we used. And it was one that fell under my purview. It should have been fucking a no brainer. It's like, I think the two sessions were like maybe $3,000, $4,000. Uh, I offered to drive instead of fly because it was like a six hour drive. Uh, I offered to drive and I offered to pay my own hotel. And they said, 
they they turned down the request. I even wrote in the comments like I'll even I'll I'll fly and, and pay for my own hotel. And I remember when my supervisor came back to me, nice guy, former Marine, loved working with him, came back to me and he said, hey, listen, that got, you know, we can't do it right now. It's just not in the in the cards. And my response to him was, OK, well, then I need this week off. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, I'd like to take I, I I'm going to fill out and take vacation that week. And he said, are you just going to do the training anyway? And I said, yeah, I'm going to pay for it myself. And he looked like a deer in headlights when I said that. And so he, I gave him my vacation request. He you know, went back to the office. He came back maybe the next day or the day after and told me, hey, we're going to we're going to go ahead and pay for it. We can't you know, we can't let you pay for it. We're going to go ahead and pay for it. They actually flew me there and they paid for my hotel. Um, now, I don't know why, like from a psychology perspective, why they why they ultimately decided to go ahead and pay for the training simply because I said I was going to do it anyway. But I now as a business owner, I know, well, if I if I pay for that education, OK, what I can do is I can put make an arrangement with the employee that if I do this, you, you know, you agree to stay at least a year or you agree to stay at least two years. If I do that, right. You can basically in exchange for this, I can get something from you. Right. Um, I actually ended up doing that again later two two jobs later. So when, um, in touch number 10, wonder where in touch 10 came out, that was a, like, there was a whole bunch of when 10.1 came out in Wonderware in touch. That was the, like the platform was like rebuilt from the ground up. And so even though I was a Wonderware developer, a really advanced Wonderware developer, you really needed to go through 10.1 to learn how to be a power user. Okay. So even if you were going to do system platform and not just standalone in touch, you still needed to go through that training. You know, you weren't going to be able to learn that stuff on your own. And so I did the same thing later. I and my 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 training got turned down, um, and I uh, and I said I'm going to pay for. It. I asked I asked to take vacation. And I said I was going to pay for it myself, and they and the same thing happened. They said no, we're going to pay for it, and they gave me the time off. So I learned a couple things when I worked with that for that second employer. They were a union shop. I was a salaried employee. It was a union facility, and. There was something that happened. We we had a strike, an impending strike coming up. And I remember and I was technically management. And that employer, this is where I when I learned what was kind of going on with the training piece. So they did all these meetings with all the management, all the salaried people who were not union, and in preparation of this potential strike that was coming. This is the only time I ever worked in a for a, a union facility. And I fucking hated it. <laughs> I mean, the people were good. I, 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 the union employees were really awesome. They actually wanted to do the right thing. It was kind of the union and the management that were really acrimonious with one another, but the employees were not. Like the salaried employees and the union employees got along just fine, unless you, unless you came across like a really militant union employee. But um, we were in these management meetings, and in the management meetings the the general manager was there was probably 
I don't know, maybe 300 salary employees or a lot. I mean, it was a huge facility. And then there were maybe a thousand hourly employees. Right. Um, and they were telling us as salaried employees that if they went on strike, we were going to continue to run the equipment. We would run the equipment. So me as a controls engineer, I'm going to be the operator running this machine. And the these other engineers are going to run the machine. And this, this is a room of 300 management people. And they're like talking about it like, yeah, we'll be able to keep production going. It'll be at a reduced rate, but we'll be able to do it. And I'm thinking, I, I was like the only person who raised my hand. And the general manager calls him on me. And I can't remember if I've ever told this story before, but he calls on me. And I said, and I'm like looking around the room. And I said, am I the only one here who thinks it's not that easy to run that equipment out there? Like these fucking people have been doing this job for like 25 years. Like, do we really think they're morons and that we can just jump in <laughs> and run this equipment? Like, is that what we really like? Is that really what we think? Like I'm saying this and everybody's looking at me. Oh my God. Holy crap. You know, I can't believe this guy is saying this, which brings me to a little side point. This is the reason you need to take care of your money. Well, the reason you need to be, you have to take care of your money and have money in the bank always you know, have one year salary in the bank so that you're paying your bills this month with money you made a year ago, right? The reason you need that is so that you can say those types of things in that meeting and give yourself plenty of time to get a different job. Okay. I'm like, am I the only one who thinks that it, we're not going to be able to go out there and run these machines? Like there's a third of us. So we're not gonna be able to produce one third productivity, which you're projecting. We're going to, we're going to do like one tenth the productivity and we're probably going to ruin the equipment. We're probably going to create more problems for ourselves. We're going to get more quality returns. We're going to fuck the equipment up. We're going to do a terrible job. And it's probably going to cost us millions and millions and millions of dollars long term because how bad we are at doing their job. Like, do you really think that they're that dumb? Like a monkey could do their job? Is that really the deal? And I remember the general manager who looked at me and, and at the time I served on a local school board. Uh, his wife, the general manager's wife, um, I knew her really well. And she made a comment to me later that night. I had a board meeting, school board meeting that night. She was like, you know, you really ruffled some feathers at work today with your question. Anyway, I asked her husband eventually, who was a great guy, by the way. Um, and even in that direction was, was coming from above his head. He was just reporting it to us. <clears throat> he told me, he said, you know, you have to understand like in large corporations, you know, people are numbers. He goes, e even if you want to care, people are numbers. They're, they're a list of skills. They're a list of capabilities. They're numbers. Okay. So when it comes to training, okay. And, and, and let me say this. I think we suspect that in large organizations, we're just a number. Okay. But very rarely do you get to hear that from the horse's mouth. Okay. You have to understand that just as, as a function of being in a large organization, you will become a number. Like we want to vilify Amazon for the way they treat their, their, uh, their employees, right? You know, they, you know, interact, you know, they fire them through a text message and that kind of stuff. But when you're a company that big and, 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 and just being that big means everyone's going to be just a number for the most part as a, as, a, as part of the, or as a function of the organization, then why not, why not? approach people like a number as efficiently as humanly possible. That's basically what they do, right? So when it comes to training, 
one of the things that I've seen with my own eyes, you ha you have to understand as the employee why it is your employer turns down your training request. And it's really only one of three reasons. Okay. So number one, they turn down their training request because they don't see the value. Okay. That, that, that means the immediate supervisor might have the ability to approve it, but they go, you know what? I don't see why, you know, teaching you how to weld is going to make you a better electrician or right. So they might turn it down based on value. And so the way to overcome that is you have to demonstrate two types of value, short-term, long-term value. Why should you invest in me? What's the return you get in the short term? What's the return you get in the long term? Okay. And there's two types. There's direct and indirect. The direct value is how will these added skills make you better in the short term and in the long term? And indirect is how will this investment also indirectly improve the organization? So like through improved morale, cultural diffusion, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So not just direct productivity, but I could go to training, get a week off, get paid for it without having to use my vacation time. I get smarter. I meet some new people, but also I feel like my employer took care of me. That's going to make me more productive. Okay. So there's indirect and direct value. So number one, the employer doesn't see the value. Number two, the employer just doesn't value education at all. So that is they, they just don't think it's important and I, it's cheaper for me to hire somebody who already knows how to do that stuff than it is to hire someone and train them how to do that stuff. Okay. And, and that is a strategic philosophical perspective from, or that organizations have, right. And then the last reason is, is timing, um, philosophy strategies wrong, right? So there are many, many employees who have taken, had their employer pay for training. I've seen this in my own eyes, had their employer pay for training and then immediately turn around and parlay that new certificate, right? Or that new training into a better job with a different employer. And let me just say this. If you do that, you're not a very good person. I mean, that's fucked up, right? It's like these people who are doing the quiet quitting thing. You know, these, if you watch on TikTok and all that jazz, quiet quitting is this big move where I'm, I'm going to do the bare minute instead of quit because I hate my job. I'm just going to stop doing anything. I'm going to do just the absolute bare minimum. And if they fire me, I get unemployment or whatever. You're a pretty bad person. If you do that character is who you are when no one's watching you literally are, you're a pretty bad person, right? Um, because that isn't the social contract. That isn't the contract or a social contract you entered into with your employer. You, you, the understanding is that not only will you work hard for what you're getting paid to do, you will continually improve and you will become more efficient over time, which is why you will see raises, not just cost of living raises, but merit raises. There's, there, there's no mechanism in there where the employer thinks at some point you'll decide you hate your job and then you'll just start doing way less on mass. So employees have created some of the environment where employers don't want to invest in their people. Okay. Don't be that type of employee. Don't tolerate that type of employee. Hold those types of employees accountable. Okay. But the best approach in when it comes to getting your employer to invest in you is to demonstrate short and long-term value of that investment 
and at the same time, assure them that that investment is going to get both short and long-term return, not just short-term. If, if you're talking about long-term return to your employer, then your employer is, is literally hearing the signal that, hey, I'm, I'm here for the long-term or at least for some long-term. But what happens if you're at the employer who just doesn't get it? Okay, that is they don't value education in any way, shape, or form. They're like, fuck it, I'd rather hire somebody who already knows this than invest. Two things. Number one, you're at the wrong employer. Okay, let me say this again. You're at the wrong employer. It's just like the video we did where we, the you know, when when knowing when to get out. You know, I've been at this employer. I've been preaching industry 4.0. It falls on deaf ears, blah, 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 blah. They, they're definitely getting the message, but they're not doing anything about it. Then you're at the wrong place. Get out of there. Everybody who's watching us. So if you, if you find the total number of people on the planet who are part of our available audience. So I, when we talk about who's the potential audience, there's about a million people on the planet who could potentially be a viewer of what we do here at 4.0 Solutions. Here, here is an absolute truism. If you are a viewer of our content, that means this resonates with you and somehow, and you understand what we're talking about when we talk about automation stack and we talk about industry 4.0 and digital transformation and unlocking potential on the plant floor and you know digital transformation starts at the edge and works its way into a common infrastructure up. If you understand all those things, you are in the top 10% of all employable people on the planet, which means you are a high value target. You, you're not stuck anywhere. You are not stuck anywhere. Okay. So nobody who's a member of our audience should be tolerating an employer who doesn't get industry 4.0 invest in it and doesn't get professional development and engineer um, and professional development and education and doesn't invest in it. None of you should be putting up with that. But in the event you decide you're going to, pay for it yourself. Okay, you do what this guy did. You reach out to us. Are there scholarships? Are there ways to do this? Yes, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll find another member of the community who's willing to co-sponsor you. We'll, if we have a co-sponsorship available, we'll, we'll co-sponsor you. Okay? Remember, our how do we price our products? We price them three ways. Number one, we want to make it we want to make it hard for people who would take the information that we're teaching people and use it to exploit others and believe me there's a lot of companies out there there's a lot of there's a lot of companies out there i i start under the premise of this that if you are a pure capitalist okay that is you uh you want to get paid that all you care about is the dollar that's it like there's nothing bigger than the dollar that you're motivated by okay um, I don't want you getting my content. I'm a capitalist, but I'm a principled capitalist. I don't want to make money unless me making money is having a positive impact on my family, my employees, my community, um, the industry and the world. If I don't have a, if I'm not having a positive impact. Okay. And I don't mean you know, I positively impacted this one executive who got to buy a boat. Meanwhile, these 10 people are living in a trailer park and they're the ones who are doing the actual work. Uh, I don't mean that. I mean, net positive. 
like when we, you know, the way we are here, we don't fire people. They fire themselves where we give up on employees after those employees have given up on themselves. Like that's a principled capitalist. I don't want those people to get the content that we create. Um, I don't want those people to get the content we create. So we have to price so that our competitors, the people who do the smoke and mirrors bullshit, you know what I mean? And they don't give a crap about their customer. They don't give a crap about the people who work there. Okay. The ones who are like smoking mirrors, smoking mirrors, you know who I'm talking about. Okay. You're not a good person. You're a bad person because you were born gifted. You were born with blessings. You know, I'm a smart guy, right? My IQ is over 150. I can outwork it basically anybody. I can learn things in 10 minutes. It takes people a hundred hours to learn. Like I would, those gifts, that's not me. That doesn't make me special. It makes me blessed. God gave me those gifts, trusted them to me to do something amazing with them. He didn't say, here are these, you're special because of this and you get to make a lot of money and, you know, fuck everybody else. Like being a leader, being at the top of an organization is a responsibility. It's not, a, it's a blessing and a responsibility. Okay. So number one, we price, we price so that the, the people who are not leaders like us are not going to give us money to steal from so that they can take what we have and exploit people. Number two, got to stay in business. We, we, this is very expensive. Everything we do here, super, super expensive. That's why you don't see a lot of people popping up, a lot of people shooting content. And when they do, they'll shoot content for maybe four or five, six months. They'll be getting maybe 50 to 100 views and they get, they're like, we're not getting our, our return on it. And they give up. We still haven't gotten our return. We still haven't gotten the return. I'm still net negative on all this. All this that we do here is to better the community. But we, we have to stay in business. So our pricing is set to keep us in business. All right. And number three, we want to touch as many people as we possibly can. So we will move our pricing around. We will get scholarships. We will get co-sponsors so that you can take training. If you want to take mastermind, you want to take mentorship, you want to get in the MES boot camp, you've got to demonstrate the need. Okay. You got to demonstrate the need. And 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 we we have to believe it's going to benefit the community. And we would have to, we have to come to the conclusion that any reasonable member of the community would would say this is a person who deserves a scholarship, okay? So that we're not watering down the people who are supporting the community by paying, you know, for their product, paying for these products, okay? You, but you have to be willing to pay for the training yourself. You should never ask your employer to pay for a training session you would not be willing to pay for yourself if you had the money, okay? But I can tell you this, this is the last thing on training. We'll get into the questions here in a second. Um, hey, Josh, in the private chat, can you tell me how it's going? Like, am I boring the shit out of the community or um, just tell me how, how things are going? Um, you, as an employer, you have to uh, invest in your people. You have to. Okay. Uh, if, you know, Moore's law says that with each technological revolution, technological advancement, you are going to, it's going to take half as long and you're going to get twice as much value. Okay. 
employers don't have the time don't they can't afford now for engineers to organically get smarter over a 30 year period during the third industrial revolution or fourth you know the the gap between the third and fourth industrial revolution is 40 years the gap between the fourth and fifth industrial revolution is going to be 20. the gap between the fifth and sixth industrial revolution is going to be 10 years you're you're going to have to be continually investing in your people just so that you have people who will be able to support the 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 rate of technological advancement in your organization you have no choice you have no choice and if you work for an organization that you think is not investing in your professional development, what I encourage you to do is to walk up to the highest ranking person you know in your reporting chain and ask them two questions. Number one, what is our digital strategy? Don't say anything else. What is our digital strategy? If they say, what do you mean? Say, I just want to know what our digital strategy is. And they go, well, can you clarify? Well, I should only have to ask what the digital strategy is. Well, if you answer that way, it means we don't have one. Because if we had a digital strategy, you would know it off the top of your head. Number two, what is your philosophy, your personal philosophy on the investment in the professional development of the members of this organization? Does, doesn't anyone think it's weird that like the people who approve training are the people who are least qualified to tell you whether or not that training is something you should take? Like who told you which classes to take in college? You had advisors. Well, who told you to, which cl classes to take? Like, were you going, did you, were you going over to the math building finding some accounting student and asking them which physics class you should be taking or which engineering class you should be taking next month or next semester. That's literally how organizations do this, by the way. Somebody who graduated with a degree in accounting or, you know, somebody who got a, a, a degree in business management is the one who is making the decision about your professional development. How the fuck does that make any sense? It's like having, I had an MRI done yesterday for, on my Achilles just to make sure I don't have any damage on there. It's been pain. Um, I, I went to, the, to get my MRI. It would be the equivalent of the lady at the front who checked me in making the decision whether or not I needed an MRI. That's, it. That's how manufacturers do it. Has nothing to do, for the most part, value. It has to do with how well you're liked, what kind of clout you have. I mean, I've seen this with my own eyes. You know, there are certain people who can take any training they want to take. It doesn't matter what the fuck it is. Hell, they might take a training because they want to trip to Reno. And somebody pays for it. But me, as the controls engineer, I want to learn, you know, I want to spend a week uh, learning how to become a power user of Asset Center. And that gets turned down for me. Why? Because I'm the guy who sends the email to everyone saying, you know, this is a safety issue or we got to fix that or whatever. If you work for someone who doesn't invest in you professionally, get the fuck out. But start by asking them what your digital strategy is. 
and what their philosophy is on investing in their people. They'll say, we can't afford, it's exactly it. We can't afford to uh, pay for that course right now. Your response should be, we can't afford not to. Let me say this. The smartest people in any organization are the people who do the actual work. I have to remind my own executive leadership team of this all the time. Our job is to make their job easier. That is literally our job. I had a staff meeting, all hands staff meeting this morning. And I literally said to the engineers, our job is to make sure you don't get burned out. Your job is to tell us that whether you feel that coming on. Our job is to make your job easier. That's leadership. You need to find out if that's the type of place you work. All right. All right. Off my soapbox. All right. Let's go. I want to uh, answer some questions here. I want to I go over some comments. So, <clears throat> and then I'm going to answer a couple of questions. If you guys have any questions, please put them in the chat. Josh can pop them up. Um, I want to start with the, uh, the, the why engineers hate life sciences video. So the one that just dropped. And by the way, I really went back and forth as a team, we went back and forth as to whether or not we should release that. I, I knew that a lot of people, I mean, it would res resonate. People would like it, but, um, the, I, I really went, I'm, I'm pretty harsh, um, in that video. Um, obviously harshness is what you guys like. Josh talks about it all the time. You know, Hey, they, you know, you, they want you to speak for them. They want you to talk about their frustrations on their behalf. And, um, that's ultimately why we published the video, but I wanted to go over some of the comments. If you haven't watched that video, why engineers hate life sciences, let me, I'll say it again. Um, in a nutshell, <clears throat> you know, life sciences, no, the elite engineers don't want to work in life sciences. You know what I mean? That's not, I'm not saying anything people don't already think it's, and it's not because they're not smart, you know, that life sciences don't have smart people or whatever. It's, it's so bureaucratic you can't develop fast enough, right? It, 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 it's 80% documentation. It's, you can't get out, the organizations can't get out of their own way. They, they heat the buildings by burning $100 bills and any company that does that, okay? Any company that heats the building by burning money, all right, uh, is a company that has four people for every position they need. So you'll have four vice presidents where you could have just one. Okay, you've got four managers where you could just have one. You got four engineers where you could, could just have one. You know what that's called? It's called bureaucracy. Okay. And do you know what that means? Whenever an organization is organized that way, is structured that way, what you have is if I have four people in a position where I only need one, I've got three people who have to justify their existence. I got one person who's probably doing most of the work. And I got three who got to justify their existence. And what do they, how do they do that? They justify their existence by slowing everything down. Having a meeting to make a decision that you should be able to make while you're walking down the hall. Okay. We're in those types of organizations, those highly, highly, highly bureaucratic organizations. It's very difficult to get anything done. And the reason you're not getting anything done has nothing to do with the merits of doing the thing you're proposing. And it has everything to do with the structural limitations of the organization. Right? 
Number two, life sciences is highly regulated and it should be. I'm not proposing that it be less regulated. Maybe we could loosen it up, make it a little easier to technologically advance. I, I would argue right now, uh, um, a lot of the validation compliance requirements make it very difficult to try new ideas. New ideas that have nothing to do, have, would have no impact on the safety of the drugs being created. Uh, makes it really, really hard to, to improve processes. Okay. Um, and number three, life science is unique in that the center of the universe is the batch record. For most people now, it's the electronic batch record, but the batch record is the center of the universe. And most people aren't accustomed to that. 80% of the work is documentation. So people don't want to work in life sciences. Okay. That, that's not anything transformative. That's not a transformative statement. Okay. But it is one that a lot of people don't say out loud because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. I have fuck you money, so I get to say that stuff, right? So Michael Dowdell said, hey, well, I want to echo what Walker said. I, I graduated from one of the premier biomedical engineering programs in 2000, or 1994. I knew starting my last year that I wanted nothing to do with the bureaucracy. I wanted to build cool things and do it quickly. Fail fast, which is one of my favorite terms, by the way. Having said that, biomedical engineering is a great way to develop the skills and analytical thinking to excel in factory automation. I agree. Well, I want to, I want to, I talked about life sciences and oil and gas in that video, and I, I want to hammer home a point that I don't think I, I hammer home. Life sciences is responsible for many of the advancements um, that we see in discrete manufacturing. So is oil and gas. Like it sucks working in oil and gas. It sucks working in life sciences. No one likes it. Okay. But there is an upside to doing it. And that is because they're willing to, they pay such a premium because it sucks so bad. You can, you get to build, you get to try some things. Um, at least the beginning of some things that you don't get to try elsewhere. And you can take that beginning, that little foundation, and you can move it over into discrete manufacturing where you can see it to the end. You can't see it to the end in life sciences because you run into a wall, right? But you could move it into discrete manufacturing and see it to the end. Same thing happens in, in oil and gas. Exact same thing. Um, what, one of the problems in oil and gas is oil and gas infrastructure generally isn't really, really, really old. Mo every manufacturing facility, it used to be they were built for a 100-year life cycle. And then it was 50, and now it's really like 25, right? So remember, the, the game that they're playing is you know, how, how much can we improve over a 25 year span, right? That's how they, they think today when they're building a facility, they're thinking 25 years. They used to be 50 years. And before that it was a hundred, right? In oil and gas, you know, some wells, their, their life, their life is five years and some wells, wells, they last for 40, except the vast majority of the production in a well is at the very beginning where that's where they have all their money. They spend the most amount of money before they pop a well, put it in production and then they make most of their money at the beginning and then it, it drops drastically. You know, they go through an injection phase and then they move into just uh, <clears throat> where they're producing, you know, maybe a barrel a day, which is essentially nothing. But oil and gas invests in a lot of technology that we end up seeing in discrete manufacturing. So it is valuable and you'll learn really valuable skills. My point is, is that no one stays in life. The best engineers don't stay in life sciences for a long time. They get sick of it. You know what I mean? I mean, we have world-class engineers working here. We have three that have 
extensive experience in life sciences, myself included. None of us want to work in life sciences. It doesn't mean we don't. We do. I mean, I'm getting ready to, I'm the architect on a major life sciences um, engagement. But that doesn't mean I want to do that. That's not what I'm drawn to do. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I tolerate doing it so that I can fund other things. Um, <clears throat> Garish said, I'm working in life sciences industry for the last 12 years. I agree with some of his comments about bureaucracy and the lack of agility. And I want to be a part of the team Walker is building for manufacturing execution. Thank you, Garish. Um, by the way, this is one of the greatest names I've seen on YouTube. Um, his name is Propane Trifiti. Okay. Trifiti Propane. Um, I've been in pharmaceuticals and medical devices for years, and I agree 100%. Literally started losing hair as an engineering-focused project manager because deadlines were tight, but quality management was tighter. Powerful stakeholders at odds with each other, and no one was ever happy. A lot of long hours to make things happen on time. And by the way, on time to a life sciences organization is four months after a discrete manufacturer wants it done. I mean, we were, uh, our team, that literally that engagement I was telling you about, where that life sciences company spent a quarter million dollars and one year to get what discrete manufacturers pay $60,000 for 90 days. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it boggles the mind. Okay. On the plus side, it was a lot of visibility and opportunities for promotion. Again, they have four they have four people for every one real job, right? Uh, but once I hit the pay grade I was looking for, I took the first lateral move back into my old division in utilities engineering, and I've been happy there ever since. Much less paperwork during validation activities as the executors would simply request bulleted info from us rather than making us fill out dictionaries worth of protocols. Don't even get me started on any connected systems. Holy shit. NPSW paperwork and the pushback from IT means plants are stuck 20 years in the past. Amen, brother. And then a couple of the other comments, Eric Leak. Walker is right. Where I live in Maryland, there's a ton of life sciences and biomedical, but I won't touch it. Taylor Turner. <laughs> thank you, Taylor. This is funny. I actually laughed out loud when you put this in here, Taylor. He said, this might be the single greatest piece of content that 4.0 has put out. Honest insights from industry leaders is so underrated. Sad I can only like it once. Thank you, man. I was actually really scared about publishing this video. Um, Rod F1021, don't forget to include medical device with your pharma stories. Very similar issues and dependency on the device history records, batch records. I'll say this. Uh, I, when I say life sciences, I'm not just talking about pharma. I am talking about medical devices. Okay. Um, and then a couple of other comments that came in, I just wanted to say, uh, Matthew Law on answering three of your questions was a video I think we did a couple weeks ago. It said, hey, Walker, you've done so much for digitization, upskilling people and manufacturers. Ignore the haters unless they have some logical input. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, Matt. And Liam Doyle asked a question on responding to comments, State of Industry 4.0 is abysmal. He said, you mentioned a digital transformation maturity assessment model. There are a number of, number of models from various sources. Which maturity model do you recommend? Okay. I'm gonna, I am going to answer that. So we, we have created a maturity model, a digital transformation maturity assessment model that's based on 10 industry 4.0 pillars. Those 10 pillars were selected based on what we have observed 
in our clients on what it takes to be successful. So we started with, if you look at the EU model, if you look at all the, and I'm not going to call out the models names because I don't want to get a bunch of emails from these fucking guys. You know, why are you picking on us? Blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and I get a lot of that. I mean, that's the reason I'm, I don't call out the OPC foundation nearly as much as I used to, because every time I mention them and I throw them under the bus, I get an email from Stefan or somebody else, you know, you're being unfair to us, blah, 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 blah. And then I say, why don't you come on the podcast and let's talk about it. And they go, no, you know, and then they never come on. So, um, the, we, what we did was, you know, we, we, starting in 2013 is when I started implementing the unified namespace at scale. Right. And we won a big award for it. And, we we learned over between 2013 and 2018 in hundreds of engagements what it took to transform a legacy manufacturer. What we did was in 2018, we took what we learned, we reverse engineered it, and we were created an assessment that would help us roadmap success. Our model is based on successful transformations. The, the EU, the EU industry 4.0 model was something somebody cooked up in their brain. And they got it wrong. It was it's all it was all theoretical, right? That's the reason that that model doesn't work, is because it wasn't based on reality. Our model, the Industry 4.0 Digital Transformation Maturity model, is based on what works. So ten pillars, and then you get scored on a scale of one to five across each of those ten pillars. There's a matrix that tells you a one means they're at this level, this maturity in that pillar. A five means they're at this maturity in that pillar. And it describes that if you're at this maturity, this is what you should be. This is what it should look like. And then we aggregate that score. And then we do a statistical distribution. We do a normalized distribution where that places you against all the other companies that have been scored. So then you know where you stand relative to industry. And those, those scores continually get updated every year for everybody who's in the sample set. So you know when you're scored today, where you are today relative to the rest of the companies that are in the, the sample set. Our model works every, and, 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 you know, we train, we teach about this in, in mastermind, everybody who's looked at it, there's no one who's ever said, Hey, that model doesn't make any sense. Or in fact, uh, if you look at Ectobox, Kevin Jones and his team, what they did was they created the micro DTMA out of the model. And I think he does, he uses 20 questions which is we use a 23 question assessment. What Kevin did was Kevin took the our model and then he created a micro DTMA out of it, which I highly recommend people use to get their their scoring. And, and we we've been talking about internally here that we we do the same, you know, that we're we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna create a self DTMA assessment that you can do at IoT.university. We won't do 20 questions. We'll break it down to probably 10 or something. But our model is based on what we know works. Okay. So what I recommend is using our model. If you want to know more about it, you can reach out to us. You can go to Ectobox website. Um, Galler Solutions does it in Europe. A um, couple other people. Um, I'm forgetting. And then, uh, Dave Schultz can do it. Um, Mario Ishigawa can do it for you. So the PAC IoT guys in Brazil can do it. Dave Schultz um, at G5 Consulting, he can do it as well. Um, yeah, we're all using the same model. Okay. Um, all right. One last thing I want to close out, uh, Josh, any questions I need to answer here? Um, Hey, Paul Kopchak, buddy. 
Um, all right. Hey, Skelly. Uh, well, Skelly hasn't done it yet, but they should be able to, Josh. All right, I want to talk about something. Um, I've been meeting a lot of new people lately, okay? And um, anybody who's in our industry <laughs> knows that when someone asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? If you're in our industry, it's always really hard to explain it, right? Uh, funny joke. A few years ago, we had an, an, an executive assistant she was my I, my EA. She was like straight out of college, knew nothing about engineering. And we were in a staff meeting. And as just like a funny exercise, we went around the room. And we said, hey, you know, how do you, when people ask you what you do for a living, how do you describe it? Because it's one of the hardest things in our industry to explain what we do, right? It's, it's a running joke. Um, and we're going around the room. We're going around the room. We get, her name is Brittany. And we, <laughs> we get to Brittany and Brittany says, Oh, I just tell people we build robots. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> we fucking, I mean, everyone busted out laughing. Cause we do not build robots. I mean, we we integrate with robots. We don't we don't build them. But she describes, she told people we build we build robots. By the way, she, that was like in 2016 or something. That we still tell that we still laugh about that in our office today that she said that. Um but I, I've been meeting a lot of new people lately and you know, they're invariably we get to the point in the conversation where they ask me, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, um, do you want the cliff notes version? You know, do you want me to just give you the touch and go or do you want cliff notes version? You want the full thing. And most of the time they'll say cliff notes, right? So, Oh, hot black Desiato. That's a good one. He says, I say I'm a doctor for factories. I like that. That's a really good one where I'm going to, I might steal that. Um, how, oh, it's hot black. Desiato, yeah. So what I say is this, I say, I'm an engineer by trade. So I'm, you know, I have degrees in sociology, electrical engineering. My graduate work is in education. Um, but I'm an engineer by trade and I'm now an entrepreneur and I own a firm in Dallas and I do education and outreach. And then they'll say, what, you know, what, it, well, what is it you do? And I say, well, what we do is we're trying to save and create middle-class jobs in the United States by using technology to help manufacturers do more with less. So, and most of that is um, collecting data and turning it into information, right? We teach people to build robots. Um, and then event and eventually I get to the last point, which is, um, you know, we basically are helping manufacturers become more like Tesla and less like Ford and General Motors. And they know exactly what, when I say that, what I mean, interestingly. You know, more like Apple and less like AT&T, right? They know exactly what I'm saying when I say that. So, um, but one of the things that comes up in these conversations and is, you know, I had this uh, conver conversation Sunday night and, um, you know, this lady asked me, she's like, you know, how much time do you have to put towards your work? And I said, well, I'm, I'm always at work. Like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm always at work. My head is always in the game. Always. But I'm also always at home. And she said, well, if you're always at work, how do you always do your best work when you're dealing with challenges? And we were talking about divorce and all this stuff. 
And I was like, oh man, that's a really good topic for the podcast. I immediately thought that. And here's why. I'm only going to touch on it briefly. Uh, because I don't think this is something, this isn't an area of our industry that we talk about enough. So we don't talk about as a community. We don't talk about burnout. We don't talk about uh, how to stay focused when you're dealing with personal challenges. Um, we don't talk about uh, how to dig through all the work that you have when you come back from vacation. We don't talk about um, how to deal, um, how to get caught back up when we come back from being sick. We don't talk about those things, right? Well, what I said was, there's no way to catch up. You know, I said, I, you know, when I going through my divorce, I was distracted. You know, as much as I didn't want to be, I was, I have kids I had to worry about. I had, you know, I had to deeds to sign and lawyers to meet with. And I mean, if anyone's gone through a divorce, it's not a, it's a really, really, my divorce is about as amicable as it could possibly be. And it was still incredibly hard, super, super, super hard. Right. Um, and how do you, how does, you know, I have all these employees who are counting on me to do a great job and how do I stay focused? And the answer is I built the right team. I chose to be a part of the right team. I put the right people around me and then I was transparent with them about what I was going through. You know, I, my whole team knew that I was going through it. Well, not the whole team, not all the engineers, only the lead engineers knew, but the executive leadership team, uh, my team here at 4.0 Solutions, Alan and, and Cheryl, they were brought into the loop as early as I could reasonably bring them in. And I told them the truth, told them what I was going through and that I needed their help and that I'm trying to take the high road the best I absolutely possibly can. And, you know, I'm going to have good days and bad days. And when I have bad days, I need you to have my back. We have, you have to do the same thing when you're dealing with challenges. When someone passes away, like here at, at 4.0, when someone loses a loved one or um, someone gets sick, um, kids are having a bad time at school, whatever it is, one of a member of our team, these are the best engineers in the world. They will send a message in our team's channel. Hey, you know, my aunt is ill or my, my wife's not feeling good or the, you know, one of my kids got in a fight at school and I need to, and you know, they'll say, I need, I need a day to, you know, to make things right. And we say, take three. When you're on the right team, Okay, when you're on the right team and you surround yourself with the right people, when you're dealing with challenges, they're going to make it, they're going to make your burden their burden. Okay, they're going to make you a better version of yourself. They're going to hold you up just like you hold them up. And, and one of the things that I, I, I want to encourage everyone is that if you don't, if this isn't something you consider when you decide what organization you're going to go work for, what team you're going to join, what team you're going to build. You're making a mistake. A wise man once said, and I don't know who said it, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you hang out with five losers, you're going to, you're invariably going to be the sixth. 
You're the average of the five people you spend most time with. That is your team. In my family, it's my kids and you know my, my, my daughter and my sons and their partners. We're all big family. And I would love, and I, and I know I'm the average of all those people put together and I, and that is good enough for me. My executive leadership team, if, if that, you know, I'm the average of that group of guys and that is good enough for me, my engineering team, I am the average of that group of girls and guys, and that is good enough for me. The best way to deal with challenges is to not deal with them yourself. And as an engineer, as an industry 4.0 professional, this is a super, super high pressure job. A lot of people are counting on you. Everybody wants a shit yesterday. You're dealing with problems, trying to solve problems no one's ever solved before. Okay. Every day is a different problem. When you're working that environment, the, the quickest way for you to get sidetracked and derail your career is to have some major life event come in and blow your fucking world up. And if you're on the wrong team, that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to blow your world up. So if you don't consider the team that you're on, if you don't ask yourself, who are the five people I spend the most time with? And what? And if I average them together, who are they? Because that's me. You should start asking yourself that. Okay. All right. Appreciate everyone for your time this week. Um, any comments, questions, concerns, please like and comment down below. And we will see you guys next time.